died on a tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is here. The hands that heal nations stretched out on a tree and took the nails for me. Sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the grave could conceal him. day it is to be for sure uh, every day that we are here and gathered together is a glorious day um, we're going to be reading um, on page 1401 first John 4 um, while you're turning there um, our announcements um, today um, Nina had another fall and bruised herself up and so they're not here today um, we pray some truth will be revealed in what's going on there. Um, we are praying for 
uh, Joe's dad, Martin, and Daniel's dad, Lee, and we're uh, praying for Roger and Deborah who are traveling. And uh, there's two surgeries coming up. Teresa has a surgery in May, and Adam has a surgery in April. So we are mindful of what God is doing in all those places and um, that he could guide us and direct us in those things. So we're going to be reading in John 4, verse 7 through 12. First John. First John 4, 7 through 12, um, page 1401. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Father, thank you for this day, for this blessing of coming together of hearing your word, of being reminded of what you have for us, Father. And we pray over those that are traveling, those that are having surgery, those that are battling disease. We pray for your will and your way, Father, for you to reveal yourself in all of these places. And we pray for our will, Father, that there be safe return of the travelers and successful surgeries. Father, that you would reveal yourself in all ways, but that we would be willing to accept your will in these places. We pray for uh, the lesson today that Daniel will bring and that um, you would reveal to us, Father, through each message and each reading of your word. We praise you and thank you for your plan, what you have done for us, the dying and the saving and the rising and the, the future hope, Father, that we will live with you and that will be a glorious day. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I made I was breathing but not Alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my dream. Yeah. 
can see The water's raging at my feet I can feel The breath of those surrounding me I can hear The sound of nations rising up We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome I can walk Down this dark and painful road I can face Every fear of the unknown I can hear All God's children singing out We will not be overtaken We will not be overcome The same power that rose Jesus from the grave The same Promises are true in His strength. There is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know there are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same. Yeah.
was rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your side So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside And there at the cross You paid the debt I owe Broke my chains, freed my soul For the first time I had hope Thank you, Jesus, for the place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end for i
Good morning. It is wonderful to be with y'all this morning. I love that last song. It's um, oftentimes a good and true worship song is much like a scripture that the Lord uh, reminds us of things that he has shown us. And I love that song. Thank you, Lord, for the blood that is applied. And it talks about what that means for our, our lives and for our salvation and for our redemption. But the last words of the song are glory to your name. And that is the story of the Passover season and the feast season is glory to the Lord's name. Begin by turning with me to Genesis chapter 1 in the church's Bible on page 1, Genesis chapter 1. I was telling Rebecca that, I was telling her yesterday that this is my favorite time of year. In fact, she kind of laughed thinking that I was quite a, just a nerd and a goober because I'm so excited at the green that is coming out. Uh, a few weeks ago, I trimmed back our shrubs. I 
uh, pruned some of our crepe myrtles. I um, kind of uh, mowed down some of our ivy that's on the ground. And for the last few weeks, it's looked kind of nasty and bare because I've, I've trimmed it back so that new growth can come. And over the last few days, there have been new growth. There's new growth on the ground. There's new blooms coming on the crepe myrtles. And the shrubs have new leaves. And it's just amazing because they all have a radiant color that is unlike the rest of the year. It's so wonderful to me to see the dormant come to life and the benefit of pruning back leaves to see new growth. And it's a reminder of one of my favorite words, Moedim. And Moedim is used here in chapter 1 of Genesis in the creation accounts in verse 14 on the fourth day when God created the sun and the moon and the stars. So let's read together Genesis chapter 1 verse 14. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the nights. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. So part of God's creation is the sun, the moon, and the stars. And these provide for our agricultural cycles and for different times of the year. It's amazing to me how these, these few things that God creates are what allows tides to happen or what allows photosynthesis for plants to be regenerated and given life. But it's also for the seasons of the year. The word here in verse 14 for seasons is moedim. It's actually a singular word, moed, and moedim is more than one. So not just one season, but multiple seasons. It, it describes uh, two people meeting on a path, so to speak that could have only met because they planned to do so. It's an appointed time, an appointed place, an assembly. And so as part of God's creation, he designed this celestial body in the sky that scientists have been studying for thousands of years, and that this celestial body would keep his time. And the world we live wasn't created for us, but by him and for him. Turn with me next to Leviticus 23 and the church's Bible on page 139. Leviticus 23. So this word Moedim that is used for the cosmos for the sun and the moon and the stars. God then uses this, this word that means forever our world will be ordered by his seasons. He used to describe his feasts. Let's read in 23 verses 1 and 2 together. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. These are feasts of the Lord. And the word we read here for feast is moedim. So they're not eating feasts like we think of getting together for a Super Bowl party or for Thanksgiving and stuffing our faces. They are appointed times that God has planned 
to meet with his people. They're called holy convocations, it says. They are to be holy, set apart as convocations or times that we are called away from the things that are normal or standard in order to assemble and gather. Again, in verse 2, the Lord says, these are my feasts. As we've taught about this before, these can't be simply the Jewish feasts or appointments. Because our appointments, mankind's appointments, cannot be holy, can they? We are called to be holy as he is holy. We are called to follow his feasts because they are holy because he has said so. These are his feasts as his appointments that he has set in order as sure as the sun and the moon and the stars are in the sky keeping our earth on time. They are good because they're functioning according to his purpose. Like the spring that brings new life and restoration to the earth, like the plants we'll see on the drive home today that are becoming to bloom and turn green and give a new life, God's feasts were intended to annually restore and remind his people of the new life and their call to be restored in him. Just as God's creation was created by him and for him, God's feasts were created by him and for him. Like the spring we enjoy and join in his creation as we plant flowers and as we spend more time outside, as we see things grow and bloom, we are called and invited to join his feast for his purpose. So last week, Deborah taught from Exodus 12 in the Old Testament, and we studied about the first Passover as God sent Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Today, what we're going to look at is in the New Testament. We're going we're to study the Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples and the Passover that Jesus was sent to fulfill. So before we get there, I want to I want to give some background and, and make a few statements about things that are very commonly misunderstood in our scripture. The first is time. So when God created time, in the creation accounts, he created the night and then the day. So therefore, the, the Jewish calendar that we, that we look at for understanding God's feast and his days begins the night beforehand. While a day on our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, it begins and ends at midnight, God's calendar began at sundown a few hours before. So a Jewish day goes from sundown to sundown. As we come together on Friday night for Shabbat, we are celebrating at the end of our Friday, but it is truly the beginning of of the Sabbath that goes sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, or 6 p.m. The next thing is a day. So a day in the New Testament was ordered by the Romans. It was considered to be divided into 12 hours that began at sunrise or 6 a.m. So even though the Hebrews' day began at sundown, 
we're going to read some places where they divided the day beginning with the sunrise at 6 a.m. Meaning that the third hour was 9 a.m., which is three hours after 6. That the sixth hour was 12 noon, six hours after 6. And the ninth hour was 3 p.m., nine hours after 6. Another understanding is twilight. And the Hebrew word for twilight means between the evenings. It was between the sixth hour, which took place at noon, and the twelfth hour, which took place at sundown, or 6 p.m. So twilight was the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. The next thing is the Sabbath. And what we're going to call for now the weekly Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath is exactly as we've just said. It is Saturday. But Saturday beginning Friday at sundown and going through Saturday at sundown. And we call this a weekly Sabbath because there are other Sabbaths. High Sabbaths or, or feast Sabbaths. So God set up these additional Sabbath days that that are called this, a high Sabbath or a a feast Sabbath. And in the case of Passover or unleavened bread, the 15th day of the month of Abib is called a high Sabbath because it was a special day of rest within God's feasts. The last thing that we want to talk about is Passover and unleavened bread. These are two terms that can be used interchangeably and also have very specific meanings. Passover is more than just a day or a meal. It is the event that describes what is taking place throughout the day. It's also a holy convocation and an assembly. So while it can refer to the day or the meal, it can also mean more broadly the entire feast to include unleavened bread and first fruits. Likewise, the Feast of Unleavened Bread can refer to the whole feast or just the Feast of Passover. So Bill, if you would, um, if you would open up this first slide, Rebecca's going to pass out a few handouts that um, have the same illustration on them for you to, to look at. If you'd like, you can make notes. Uh, There's one slide on the front and one slide on the back, and we'll look at both of them. And I know this looks like a lot of information, but I think it's going to help us just one one detail at a time consider some of these things that we read and we we study. You'll notice that on the left, it's, it's in very fine print, but what I wanted to do is to show a day with 24 hours. A day for the Hebrews that began at 6 p.m. and concluded at 6 p.m. Or a day that began at sundown and concluded at sundown. Now what I'm going to ask for for today is that do your best not to constantly convert time for time, all right? Because what we want to see is what God is saying through these feasts, not trying to make it fit within our 21st century culture and context. Okay, so turn over a few pages if you've, if you've kept your, your place in Leviticus 23. And we're going to read a little bit more from 
from chapter 23, the feast chapter. And Billy, you're fine if you can just leave the lights dim like that for now. That's wonderful. Thank you. So we're going to read the instructions for Passover in verses 4 through 8. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, it is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. So the first thing that we want to see is the 14th day of Abib was known as preparation day. We read that in verse 5. So the 14th day of Abib is called preparation day. It begins at 6 p.m. at sundown, and it goes through the following day, 6 p.m. or sundown. We've read it in Leviticus 23, 5. And what we read is that the lamb was killed at twilight. The next thing that we want to see is the 15th day of Abib. It says the 15th day of the same month, which is Abib. The 15th day of Abib, so this is the next day, 6 p.m. at sundown, begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This day is considered a high Sabbath because this day is not always on a Friday of the week. But it is a day that is a Sabbath that they are to have a rest. So it's considered a high Sabbath. Unleavened bread as a feast is going to last seven full days. So from the 15th day of Abib to the 21st day of Abib. And that's what we read in Leviticus 23, 6. Now a few other important details... We're going we're gonna to read a little bit more first. So let's look down at first fruits, which is a part of this feast as well. So we'll read in Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. You shall offer on that day, when you wave a sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day you have brought an offering to the Lord. It shall be your statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. So verse 11 here tells us that first fruits is to be celebrated the day after the Sabbath. That means that first fruits is really a part of unleavened bread. It is 
a feast within this feast, and it's always celebrated on Sunday, because Sunday is the day after the Sabbath. The Sunday after the Sabbath, unleavened bread has begun. So even looking at our timeline here, this Saturday, this Sabbath, is taking place within those seven days of the feast, okay? And after that Sabbath has occurred, the first day of the week, or Sunday, they are to have a wave offering before the Lord for first fruits. So first fruits is always going to be on a Sunday because it comes after the Sabbath. Okay, Bill, you can turn the lights back up for right now if you don't mind, and um, we can move away from this slide. So now we're going to shift to the New Testament to look at the Passover meal, the Seder, that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. So turn with me to Luke 22, please, page 1214, Luke 22. All right, let's read together in Luke 22, verses 7 through 13. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. All right, Bill, if you don't mind to put that slide back up, let's, let's actually look back at this. What's so wonderful, and what I want you to see, is that, that all these things that we read in Scripture are so significant and important, down to the smallest detail. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So what we're talking about here is these concepts of unleavened bread and Passover that are both bigger than the single days, but encapture or encapsulate these days. So unleavened bread is about to begin, and the Passover must be killed. So really, we're, we're just before twilight on this day. We're just before twilight on preparation day getting ready for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Luke says, and he sent Peter, verse 8, and John saying, Go and prepare a place for us that we may eat. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? That's so interesting. They're asking him, Where? So there wasn't a preset place where they're going to eat, but they're wanting to know the location of where they're going to eat this meal. And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. So they're preparing this meal. They're preparing to sit down and have a Seder that is to begin on unleavened bread sundown. Okay? In verse 10, we read about a man carrying a pitcher of water. 
And I know we study this each year, but it's so important that we see it. Luke is the most detailed of the gospel writers. He's a doctor. He's a scientist. He's very thorough and thoughtful. And this is an important detail. There was a Jewish group in the New Testament called the Essenes. They were a group of followers of Yahweh, much like the Pharisees or the Sadducees or others, but they were very distinct. They were highly devoted to God's ways. They, um, they, 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 they took their study of scripture and their worship very seriously, and for this reason, they didn't marry. And so many of the, the chores that would have been shared among a household or even dedicated for women, like carrying a pitcher of water, the men would do. So Jesus sends them not just to find a man randomly in any part of Jerusalem, but I believe that this was the Essene quarter. This was the area of Jerusalem where the Essenes gathered, where the Essenes lived, and Jesus sent his disciples to find a man in that area carrying a pitcher of water. The Pharisees, uh, they calculated feast days using the lunar calendar or the moon. While the Essenes, they did so using a solar calendar or the sun. What is incredible is that in just this year, in the year 30 AD, that Jesus was living and was crucified, this one time in the course of history, scholars say, the Essene Passover took place the day before the Pharisaical Passover. This one time in all of history. All other years, the Essene Passover, because it's ordered not just to go before the Pharisees, but it's ordered based upon the sun and its calculation of dates, it would have fallen in an altogether different week or maybe even after the Pharisees' Passover. So Jesus would have celebrated his Passover with his disciples. And Bill, if you'd go ahead and just go to the next slide. Jesus would have celebrated his Passover with the disciples before Wednesday or Preparation Day. He would have celebrated it on Tuesday. Tuesday with the Essenes or in the Essene quarter. Then the next day would be Preparation Day for all that we'll study and read about. The next thing we need to look at um, before we, we get into the Gospels, is the sign of Jonah that is so significant that Jesus fulfills as a prophecy. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1 in the church's Bible on page 1068. Jonah chapter 1, page 1068. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So not just three days, but three days and three nights. I believe that's important because three days in prophetic language could be three periods of time, right? It could mean Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three years, for 30 years, for 3,000 years. But he wasn't. He was in there three days and three nights to bring completion 
to the order of the day. Next, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, page 1125. We'll read in chapter 12 and verses 38 through 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's so significant about this prophecy that Jesus is is going to make for himself and then fulfill is that without it, the timeline of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection really don't mean anything for us. He's made a promise that he can't keep. And if that's true, how will he keep the promise of redeeming mankind to himself like his father set in motion back in Egypt with the Passover. We're going to study the preparation day very carefully because without attention to detail, many miss this true story that is clearly fulfilled through the Lord's feast of Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. Many manipulate Jesus' crucifixion to exclude the three days and three nights of Jonah's prophecy. Without these feasts, we end up with false Moedim, like Lent, like Monday Thursday, like Good Friday and Easter. These days are not holy. In fact, they are very unholy. The Lord certainly doesn't call these days my feasts. But these feasts, the Lord's feasts, are miraculously fulfilled through Jesus. It's why the Gospels that we read go into such great and intense detail of the things that they saw happening. Just like Deborah and I would observe the same situation and pull away different details, each of the gospel writers notice different things. But that's a good thing, because collectively they corroborate this great, not just story, but gospel. So while some are confused oftentimes about the details of the crucifixion and when they took place, it's because they want to see the crucifixion the way they want to see it instead of seeing it the way that it happened. It didn't happen on our calendar that begins at midnight and ends at midnight. It happened on God's calendar that begins at sundown and concludes at sundown. It happened on God's calendar that is concerned with his Sabbaths and his feasts. So we're going to start with Wednesday, the preparation day. Wednesday begins at 6 p.m. 
in the evening. And what we're going to see is that Jesus was crucified at the third hour and he died at twilight. So first we're going to start with Mark's gospel. Let's look on Mark 15, page 1174. Wednesday is preparation day. It is the 14th day of Abib, which is so important because these things have to line up with what Jesus, excuse me, God had done in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, he says on the 14th day of Abib, you are to begin the Passover. You are to sacrifice the lamb at twilight. So in Mark's gospel in chapter 15, we'll read first verse 25. We're not going to read all of this story, but we're going to look for some specific details to see these days clearly. It says, now it was the third hour and they crucified him. Y'all remember what day the third hour is? It's 9 a.m. 9 a.m. in the morning, Jesus is before Pilate, and if you're looking on your form, you might even mark out and and write down 9 a.m. in the morning is when Jesus is crucified at the third hour. Next, let's look down to verses 33 through 40, 33 through 34. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, which would be for us noon to three, there was darkness over the whole land. Now we'll read in verses 36 through 42. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him, to Jesus, to drink, saying, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah can come down, can take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom. So when a centurion stood up opposite of him, he saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, the less of the Joseph and Salome, and also followed him. And ministered to him when he was in Galilee and many other women who came up to Jerusalem. I want to read verse 42 also. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that day was before the Sabbath. So evening had come on preparation day. Jesus had, had died at twilight. Then evening came. Now it is the Sabbath, which is Thursday Unleavened bread, it's why they call it a Sabbath, because it's a high Sabbath. So at twilight on Wednesday, preparation day, Jesus dies, and at sundown, it begins Thursday, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a Sabbath. Next, we're going to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke 23, page 1217. It 
few things we had read through in Mark, but we didn't say was that Joseph of Arimathea wrapped Jesus' body in linen and he put it in a tomb. Um, it's important. So Luke 23, we're going to read first verses 44 through 46. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Luke concludes with what we read in Mark, right? From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there is darkness. The sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So just like Mark, darkness from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Also like in Mark, the veil was torn in two. Now skip down to verse 50. We'll read 50 through 54. Now behold, there was a, name, there was a man named Joseph, a good member, excuse me, a council member of good, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock where there had no one had ever been laid. That day was preparation, was the preparation, and Sabbath drew near. We read the, read the same things here that this Joseph of Arimathea, he takes Jesus' body, he puts it in linen, he puts it in the tomb, and it says that was the end of the preparation day, for the Sabbath drew near. Now let's look at John's Gospel, chapter 19, page 1248. John 19, page 1248. We'll read in chapter 19, verses 28 through 30 to begin. After Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled it with a sponge and, uh, of sour wine, put it, on a, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So Jesus, like the other Gospels, has a drink of wine, he says it's finished, and he breathes his last. In verse 31 through 34, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked that Pilate, uh, Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may be taken away. All right. So Jesus dies at twilight at 3 p.m. on the preparation day, which is clear throughout each of the Gospels we've read from. Preparation is the day before not just any Sabbath, but the high Sabbath, which begins unleavened bread. In fact, as we've read just here in John's Gospel, they took down any bodies who had been crucified or tortured on a day like this, so when there was a feast coming, a high Sabbath 
it wouldn't be out to disrupt the peace of a feast of the Lord. The high Sabbath that is beginning is not a weekly Sabbath. It is not a Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath. It is a high Sabbath to begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All of this happened on the 14th of Abib. Just as the families in the houses had the the lambs in their houses and the fathers would would slit the the throat of the lamb and would drain the blood and would, would go into all the things that the Lord had commanded. Jesus was fulfilling this right on time. Just like the sun and the moon and the stars that are according to God's time, this feast was according to God's time. If we don't see these details, we make this feast day about us. It's how we get things like Lent and Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday that are, that are selfish, self-absorbed, and are about the things we can put on our forehead or we can claim to be doing as believers in Jesus. But this feast day, with all of its gruesome details, is fulfilling God's purpose. After the 14th day of Abib would begin unleavened bread, the 15th of Abib. Jesus is in the ground as early as 3 p.m. or 6 p.m. So he is in the ground before unleavened bread begins. Thursday happens. Friday happens. Saturday happens. And Jesus is in the ground for three full days and three full nights. Some reorder these days to suit their benefit. And so doing Jesus is in the ground three days, two nights, two days, two nights, whatever they want to make it about, but that is not truth. The Gospels, if we're hungry, they tell us all of these things. Then comes Sunday morning. After Jesus has been in the ground three days and three nights, Sunday morning comes, and Sunday, or first fruits, let me back that up. First fruits is always the first Sunday after the weekly Sabbath. Now, after Sabbath had completely come, not a high Sabbath, but a weekly Sabbath would be first fruits. So, on the Sunday morning, when all in Jerusalem would be celebrating God's first fruits and getting ready to, to wave before the Lord, Jesus would rise from the dead. Let's look at Matthew's gospel on page 1150. Matthew 28, page Okay, in Matthew 28, we'll read verses 1 through 8. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week, now let me just pause there. Knowing what we know, 
this Sabbath, this first day of the week cannot be back here after a high Sabbath because it tells us it is the first day of the week after the Sabbath. After the, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. And he has said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring word to his disciples. So after the Sabbath... We, we've, we've covered this. It would have ended on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening at sundown. Just before the first of the week, Mary and company go to see the tomb, and Jesus is risen. Now turn over to Mark chapter 16, over just a few pages on page 1175. Mark 16. We'll read in Mark 16, verses 1 and 2. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James, excuse me, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Siloam uh, brought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Okay, so when the Sabbath was passed, just as Matthew's gospel has said. We've covered that. The, 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 the Sabbath has passed. After that, they were bringing spices to Jesus. So they could have left anywhere after 6 p.m. since the Sabbath had passed, right? Anytime after the sun goes down, they're going in the dark to see Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. It says very early in the morning. Some translations um, say later in the verse, just at sunrise or just after sunrise. I believe that, that a best translation would be at earliest sunlight. It wasn't at 9 o'clock in the morning. It wasn't even at 7 in the morning. It says it was very early, and if the sun had already risen, those would be two different times. But at earliest possible sunlight. We're going to look at some other Gospels to see this, but I want to make that point clear. Turn next to Luke 24, over just a few pages to your right. Luke 24, page 1218. We'll read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 24. Now on the first day of the week, 
very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. They found the tomb rolled away, excuse me, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Okay, again, we've got the first day of the week, which we've, we have said concretely is Sunday, and it's very early in the morning. Last gospel we're going to look at here is John 20. John 20 on page 1249. John 20, we will read verses 1 through 9. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Therefore they went out, and the other tomb, uh, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came out following him, went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must be risen again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their homes. So again in John's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the first day of the week, Sunday, Jesus is risen. And John's gospel makes no mention of sunrise at all. He says it is still very early and it was still very dark. What's important is that this takes place after the Sabbath had completed in the early hours of the morning. Why this is really important is because Jesus rose on first fruits. The Sunday after the Sabbath. Within the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I know this is a lot of details. I know this is a lot of facts. I know these are a lot of the same things to read and reread and see again and, and, and kind of uh, um, ponder the Sabbath and the high Sabbath and all of these different things. But what we should see is not to be overwhelmed, but convinced. I love the story of Passover because God clearly had a plan. God had a plan 1,500 years before he sent Jesus to earth. And for all the scriptures we just read, it is overwhelming proof that God is who he says he is and that his son was who he said he was, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the one who would fulfill the sign of Jonah. Since the 3rd century, an emperor named Constantine and a church who would follow 
leadership like his has been manipulating and twisting God's scripture to draw his people away from what many might call the Jewishness. Our Savior was Jewish, but his feasts were the Lord's. These in the church have led God's people away, not just from abstaining feasts, they have replaced God's feasts with their own. Remaking them in man's image, watering them down to appeal to empty hearts who want to gratify themselves with these feasts I've repeated now three times, Lent and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Ishtar eggs on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus did not die on the false Moedim of Good Friday. That's a new one for me to, to put that into words. The false appointed time. That's what these days are. They're not just feast days the church has made kind of separately to fit their needs. They are false appointed times. This day of Good Friday does not fulfill the sign of Jonah and makes Jesus a liar. Nor was Jesus raised on Easter Sunday, a day that combines the pagan, idolatrous worship of Ishtar with bunny hunts, eggs, and Fabergé colors. That is nonsense. Rather, Jesus fulfills the Bible's prophecies in every way with every detail. For he was crucified on the preparation day of Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread, and he was raised on first fruits. This Jesus, and only this Jesus, who was slain, covers us, delivers us from captivity to sin, redeems us from the penalty of sin, protects us from the destroyer, the death angel, and allows us to have everlasting life in his name. Let's turn and look at one last scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the church's Bible, page 1314. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes this letter of 1 Corinthians to a predominantly Gentile church. A church that wouldn't have been uh, um, taught Passover on unleavened bread and first fruits. They wouldn't have spun dreidels as young children and hunted for the Iphicomen. These were Gentiles like you and I who were brought near to God's way and grafted into his truths. Paul says this to them in chapter 5 verses 7 through 8. Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since there there excuse me since you are truly unleavened for indeed Christ our passover was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth 
Jesus, excuse me, Paul says this to Gentiles like you and I. He says, first off, we should keep this feast. And why should we keep it? Because Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus offers us unleavened bread. He was sacrificed for us, so let us keep the feast. And not let us just keep the feast for celebration's sake, but to continually fulfill being unleavened and without sin. This false moedim of Lent that's in celebration right now, you maybe have friends or coworkers or family keeping this feast, and they've shared with you the thing that they're giving up for the Lord, like ice cream or chocolate or movies, right? What good do giving those things up do for the Lord's name? Nothing. They do good for our name. We have already been given a commandment, and Paul clarifies it here. We are commanded to give up leaven and sin for a picture of these these seven days. It's okay. These seven days which are a picture of forever. This feast should be a reminder for us of the sacrifice that Jesus made to give us the opportunity to be liberated from sin and bondage and that he might be our first fruits forever. God's word is very near us. It is in our mouth and in our heart. Let us keep this feast today and forever. Amen.
nothing.